Welcome to Conservative Patriot Nation, new members and returning members. Today we have a very special guest. But before I announce our special guest, a very leader patriot in this movement that we all look up to, and I'm very honored to have him on here, I do want to give a big shout out to a candidate that's running for Congress in South Carolina. Uh, I love her dearly. She made this all possible. So if you're in South Carolina or you know anyone in South Carolina, make sure that they support Lynn's Piper Loomis. She made this all possible. Um, Patriots connecting with other Patriots. I mean, this is a God movement. God is making all this possible. And with further ado, I would like to present the Professor David Clements. How are you doing today, Professor? I'm doing just fine, Dallas. Uh, I'm, uh, Michael, I'm traveling through Dallas. My family just left to get some late night dinner. and uh, So I've got some quiet time in the hotel room. Most definitely. I must ask, are, are you and uh, Seth Cashel, do you guys got a five-hour energy uh, endorsement? I mean, all that traveling, holy cow, <laughs> you must be drinking a lot of coffee. I do. I, I, I drink about a pot just to get even, and then I keep drinking throughout the day. Uh, so, yeah, coffee is, is something that I have been well acquainted with when I was a prosecutor for a long time. Um. I was on call almost 24-7, so uh, I ran uh, a county in New Mexico, and I, I had to pick up the phone for uh, six law enforcement agencies if, if they wanted felony charge approval. Um, typically, you know, I, I had attorneys that worked for me, but if it was a really gnarly case, it would come through to me. And so for the better part of five or six years, I just got used to not sleeping very well, and uh it's it's something that I've just gotten used to. Wow, I can imagine. Um, I really want to say I really appreciate everything that you're doing for us and, and this country. And um, we really look up to you, Lynn Wood, and, and many other patriots. Um, I had the pleasures to meet Seth Kesho, and, and I'm very honored. Um, you guys are boots on the ground, and you guys are bringing it right to these evil tyrants that are uh, rigged our elections and uh I, I can't say enough well you're very kind i, I look up to the same people that you do <laughs> it's surreal because uh, a year ago this time um i was relatively unknown and uh so i still like many folks when i when i see lynn or or seth you know it's i count it as an honor to know them and uh i try not to forget that so it's always very surreal when people come up and recognize me or want to talk. Um, a lot of times if I go on stage and people are clapping, I always look behind me to see if, if they're, if they're clapping for someone else. Um, so I, I try to keep a level head, but it's, it's very, it's uh, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. So, I mean, I, I take a lot of flack and a lot of criticism for the position. So, um, um, you know, I, I think some of the wisdom that I would, share is that you're, you're never as bad as people think you are. And you're probably not as great as people think you are either. Most definitely. And, uh, I really want to say thanks so much. Um, when I seen you at the cyber symposium and how you were breaking down that, the, the crime fit, the, the drug cartel crime family and the ballot harvesting crime families really opened up my eyes. And, um, you gave me a lot of hope 
and you allowed me to see that these 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 people are not going to get away with what they've done and exactly how things can actually play out because once you you know you crack a couple of them um people are going to sing and talk like a bird and what they've done to the american people and god's children is just is totally wrong and and i want to thank you for what you did at the symposium well that was a god thing i um it's an interesting backstory but i was invited probably four or five days before the symposium uh, and a lot of people just assumed because i was on stage um for a good amount of time that I had known Mike Lindell and I knew a lot of those folks. I had interviewed a handful of the people that were at the symposium. And, um, you know, the odd, the odd thing about getting there was, um, uh, one of Mike Lindell's assistants knew who I was a very lovely woman. And she invited me and she told Mike, you need this guy at the symposium. And, you know, Mike, if you've ever been around him, you know, um, He's very passionate and you're not going to strong arm him into doing anything he doesn't want to. But he really didn't know, know who I was. I had been covering the election fraud stuff um, as just a, almost like a citizen reporter. And um, at some point that changed when I got invited over to Regent Universities. Um, they had a symposium where I was a, an expert panelist. And I guess my profile was elevated a little bit there that was uh, hosted by Michelle Bachman and it had Ben Carson and uh, the Hoff brothers from Gateway Pundit and, and a few others that, you know, that, that I knew who, who they were. And um, that was kind of my first introduction. Well, in any event, she invited me and she didn't, it didn't seem like they really had a plan for me. I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? And they said, well, why don't you just be a panelist? I'm like, okay, I can, I can be a panelist. And then, um, and then I asked her, well, what, what do you think my contribution should be? Because I'm not a tech guy. I'm not a cyber person. And then she just turned the question around to me. It was just weird. I got invited out of nowhere. And uh, she said, well, what, what, what do you think you should do? And I said, I think you need a translator. Because a lot of these smart people, I'm not as brilliant as Dr. Frank or Seth. I'm just smart enough to ask questions when I'm confused. And that, um, so I think you need a translator for, for people that I refer to as the, the American jury. And she agreed. And then, uh, and then she says, well, what else do you think you could do? And I said, well, I, I, I could listen to everyone that week and perhaps I can provide a closing argument because I've done, I've done uh, many closing argument, closing arguments over my career. And, um, and that was the evolution where that started it was just a few days before and i actually the weekend before mike lindell sent his private jet to pick me up i called up my old uh, trial buddy one of my mentors a longtime prosecutor he's tried hundreds of, of murder trials um and thousands of other different types of trials but he was my mentor guy guy by the name of scott key and i said you know can you send me all the exhibits for that murder trial that we worked on together with the az boys and it was God's timing. He said, sure. So he sent me a jump drive. I took that jump drive without having having looked at anything on that case for many, many years. And for folks that aren't familiar with the symposium, um, I was one of the co-prosecutors of a drug trafficking organization by the name of the AZ Boys. And it's just a gruesome, gruesome family that, um, 
you know, they, they basically, once you get past the border patrol checkpoint in New Mexico, you've got a free, um, you've got freeways to, to distribute your product across the United States. And it's really the first place in America that you can, you can do that. It's a sleepy town by the name of Alamogordo. And um, so that was one of, of a handful of murder cases that I tried. And uh, it just fit. And I wish I could take the credit for like this being some brilliant mastermind. God just said, hey, Dave, this case and any uh, any similarities to what you're seeing with your votes being stolen. And the more that I would sit and look at the exhibits and the pictures that I had my jump drive, I'm like, man, I could just go on and on and on. It just popped out and um, really didn't know how it was going to come together. Because you kind of have to wait and see what people say on the stage because your closing argument is effectively um, a summation of the evidence that you present to a jury. And um, it worked. And I think I put on the finishing touches to that presentation about 10 minutes before I went on the stage. And it's not like I rehearsed anything. It was just, okay, um, I've worked on it. I've done this before. And um um, the response from what I from what I can gather, because I don't go back and watch my videos, has been positive. And uh, someone had sent a picture of Mike Lindell uh, watching on, because I think at first he was probably, what the hell is this guy doing talking about drug traffickers? What does this have to do with election theft? And um, I, I hope he was pleasantly surprised. And um, the day after that symposium, I flew out to meet uh, President Trump. And he was very, very um, enthusiastic when we met, which was really cool because, you, you know, you can usually tell if someone uh, is just going through the motions and, and doing a meet and greet. And he asked me a lot of questions about that, um, about why I, or I guess how I cobbled together that that presentation. So I, I feel like uh, God was definitely with me through all of it. And I, I certainly needed his help because it, I'm not someone who's been in front of cameras until this past year. I mean, I, I'm comfortable with the jury, but it's surreal when you're in a room and you've got six cameras with CNN written on it and you know the bad guys. You've got the the propagandists that are uh, writing stories real time. So that's the, that's the backstory for that. I mean, I don't know if, if that's interesting for, for you all to hear about, but it was certainly interesting for me real time. I'll tell you, um, it, it definitely was God and God works in mysterious ways and you've done a hell of a job and you, you really helped me see some things and, and um, just breaking down the ballot harvesting crime families. Um, I live here in Wisconsin and uh, we, we've seen a lot of that happening throughout the years, um, especially with Scott Walker. I mean, at midnight, they found ballots in a trunk and the next day, uh, he loses and Joe Biden Jr. Mr. Evers wins. Um, so I, I just really want to thank you because uh, I, I think you helped a lot of Americans see um, some key things, especially um, we see what happened in Georgia. You know, um, you know, there's a person in Georgia that went on social media and, and kind of <laughs> told on themselves I won't say no name, but I think uh, a lot of us probably have a, a clue of who that person was. And um, I know God is going to win when we have boots on the ground like yourself and Linwood 
And uh, us, the Patriots, we're not going to stop. Amen. <laughs> so uh, before we do Q&A, um, I'd like to ask you, so a little bit about yourself. What made you want to get into this fight? And um, give the Patriots a little bit of hope that we got boots on the ground like yourself. I'll try my best. Um, long story short, uh, I grew up in a poor, very dysfunctional family. Uh, bounced around about every three years. Um, my dad tried his best to make ends meet and uh, kind of climbed the social ladder up until about I was about eight years old. And probably the best I ever lived About for about two years. We, we lived like a, a middle-class family. And um, my dad was a whistleblower of sorts that uh, caught tremendous fraud, waste, and abuse at, at a company called Martin Marietta, which is one of the, the military-industrial complex uh, corporate entities. And instead of him being honored for catching fraud, waste, and abuse, the people that he caught got promotions, and he was shown the door. And um, as a young father of five children, we went from being relatively comfortable I and mean, we were never rich. Um, you know, I was, I was born in the trailer park, but we, we just got to a point where it's like, man, life's pretty good to um, becoming really poor overnight. No one would hire him. And we moved um, over to South Carolina where I spent my formative years, lived with my grandparents for a while about, Oh, was it nine of us in a small house? And, um, just had to work. And um, so I mentioned that because there's just, there's not a whole lot of pedigree. Just, uh, I think God was using my experiences to, to identify dysfunction and people that like to take advantage of people. And you just, you get to see who the hucksters are. Myrtle Beach, um, though it's a tourist town, there's a lot of shady stuff there. Um, a lot of drug trafficking, a lot of sex trafficking. It really has a seedy underbelly to it and, and so I grew up in that area and I was in the pub culture and in the bar culture um, fell in love with playing rock and roll at a young age played in a lot of punk rock bands um, growing up on the beach and um, kept playing even at dive bars and, until uh, COVID hit I, I'd try to get out and play um, gigs oh at least once a month so that's kind of my my decompression thing, or at least what I used to do. And um, along the way, I got involved into kind of the, the underbelly of the drug world. Um, did a lot of drugs. I share this now because there, there's obviously a redemptive side of the story. But I uh, pushed my body pretty hard to the point where I had a heart attack uh, when I was 20 and had alcohol poisoning several times. So there are many times where I, God preserved me in some miraculous way. Um, and I ended up leaving South Carolina because I just had a feeling that if I, if I stayed there, I wasn't going to live. And so my, my parents retired out to New Mexico. And it's, I always thought of it as like Billy the Kid country, very frontier-like. And, um, you know, 
say, hey, can I sleep on your floor and kind of figure out what I'm going to do with my life? Because I was not going anywhere in, in a hurry, at least in a good place. And um, eventually I, I met who would become my wife. Uh, she led me to the Lord. I had a, a very, very strong conversion experience. And um, God made up for uh, a lot of lost time, a lot of wasted potential. And um, almost like I got shot out of a cannon and found out that I wasn't, you know, a dumb kid. Uh, I had a pretty, I did really well when I applied myself and I just shot through school. And next thing you know, um, one of the few things that I thought I would never be able to do would be either be a, a doctor or a lawyer. I just thought that's rarefied air. And by the time I got done with my undergrad, my grades were good enough to consider both. And um, the law just appealed to me, even though I, I don't have a, a very, like most people, I don't have a favorable view of the law. But I grew up watching a lot of those movies on TV. You know, I lo just love trials, just love the, the courtroom drama. And um, so I applied. I got in uh, after about a year, found out I was really um, comfortable, clerked for a judge. Um, clerk for law firms. I was a research analyst and a clerk for uh, the entirety of my, my time in law school. Okay. And then um, after that, I uh, was in civil litigation for a couple of years where I, I, I got in with a really good law firm and um, I was on the fast track to partnership. They, uh, they saw potential. I was very gifted on paper. I could file motions and, and, go against the big dogs as well as anyone for a really young attorney. And I hated it because I was stuck in an office where I was never in the courtroom. So all the stuff that I was in love with from what I saw in the movies, I didn't get to experience. And it, you have this kind of chicken and the egg phenomena where I'd want to go to trial and they'd say, well, you can't try this case because you don't have any experience. And so my, I'd ask the question, well, how do I get experience? And at some point, um, I wasn't satisfied, so I took a giant pay cut of about $30,000, which is a lot of money. Um, and I worked as a assistant district attorney. And my second day of work, I had my first jury trial. And I just absolutely loved it. And uh, I would try to take any case I could to the point where uh, I think my first year I had over 40 jury trials. And I would average about two jury trials a month over my career. So I lost, I stopped counting at about 160 and um, just loved it. I mean, I just absolutely loved it. And anytime there was a, an election, the district attorney, usually the high paying jobs are all the top tier jobs. And there's, there are elections every four years. And so the person that brought me on lost their election and he was a lifelong criminal defense attorney. So he hated trial. And I loved it. So um, when he came on, everyone was scared to go to trial and I wasn't important enough for them to fire. So I uh, was a low man on totem pole. And so everyone in the office said, hey, Dave, do you want to take this case? And these were cases I had no business taking as a young attorney. I took them all. And um, so I cultivated a pretty good reputation as a successful prosecutor. And I uh, got promoted up to the point where um, I was one step below 
the elected district attorney who gave me Lincoln County. And Lincoln County, if, if you if you know your history, is actually where Billy the Kid and Pat Garrett and some of those old Western heroes uh, either committed crimes or were hung. And um, got to see kind of the worst of humanity. And so I've always liked mixing it up and uh, and taking on bad guys and bullies. Got to see a lot of corruption within the profession and in law enforcement. And um, I guess the other pivotal moment was at some point I had a break in my career and I ran for office for U.S. Senate back in 2013, 2014. And during that campaign, I was uh, oddly enough hacked. Um, There was fraud committed against my campaign. And then after I called it out, I was sued frivolously and they tied me up in the courts for several years. And so uh, in an odd way, I didn't quite understand why I was just getting the tar kicked out of me in my my personal life in this campaign. And a lot of the cases that I was taking on were just really gruesome cases like beheadings and um, child sex cases. Just gross, just gross stuff. And um, there was many a night where I'd I'd pour a Diet Dr. Pepper and some some cheap whiskey. And I'm just sitting there going, God, what in the world? (laughs) What in the world are you? Uh, what are you doing with me? I mean, I, I, I know we're not supposed to ask why, but I ask God why almost every night. Like, why, why, am, why am I doing this? And um, I'd ask those questions because my wife and I had small kids. They never saw me. And it just seemed like I was um, never quite good enough at home. And I always had victims that were disappointed because I had just so many cases that you're just trying to keep everyone happy. So I just felt like I had this giant weight um, on my shoulders for, uh, for years. And then 2020 happened. Um, I was able to get a dream job out of my work as a prosecutor. Um, For about three years, I was a law professor and uh, was loving it. I was able to reconnect with my family and, um, not, you know, take calls at three o'clock in the morning and, um, whatever rest I think I got was well-earned, but, uh, like you and everyone that's on this channel uh, about on November 3rd, I saw a crime that was committed. My brain clicked on like it's clicked on, on many cases that I've evaluated. And it's almost as if time slowed down and I just started monitoring the election as if it was a crime that was committed in my county and everything that I was good at, everything that I was good at made sense. Like, I mean, if you ever had that moment where you're wondering why you were put on this earth, um, everything kind of came into view where it's like, Oh, I was hacked. So I know what it looks like. I've got some forensic uh, knowledge. Oh, people are getting sued and threatened. I've had, I've experienced that before. I can handle that. Um, you know, just everything that, that I, that I struggled with or through had a place and it helped me see the landscape. So very long winded answer, but, um, I've been awake and been fighting against corruption. Oh, probably since 2004, 2005. 
And um, I just feel like I'm built for this. I mean, I just, I, I love, I love the fight and uh, I get up and I don't feel like I'm working at all. I just feel like this is what I was put on this earth to do. Yeah, most definitely. I think a lot of us, <laughs> November 3rd, really uh, woken our awareness up. And uh, I definitely believe God um, shooken us up a little bit from over the years of <clears throat> seeing them taking God out of the schools and the Ten Commandments out of government buildings and we just continue on living life to where I know a lot of people are feeling the pain of what happened on November 3rd right now. But um, I can just imagine the pain God felt with everybody just living their life as normal. And, and these evil people are just uh, taking God away from our youth. So uh, I do know God wins and, and I do know there's going to be justice. And like I said, I can't say enough and I appreciate you so much. I follow all your uh, your posts and um, it, it's leaders like yourself and Lynn Wood and many others that are pointing out these candidates that are patriots that are running for office. And please, I, I say, please continue on pointing them out because um, like here in Wisconsin, we have uh, Rebecca Clayfish, which I believe is a rhino. And this other guy named John Jordan Whitman, I believe his name is, that just came out of nowhere. And it's like here in Wisconsin, we don't know which one is the Patriot, which one is the Rhino. So it's it's a blessing when you guys point point out those Patriots, like Lynn Wood pointed out, Candace Taylor, and uh, she'll be joining us on here as well. So I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Candace. I, you know, we don't get it. We're, we're, we don't have any superpowers. I'll tell you right now, Lynn and I would both tell you that we've gotten things right, but we've also gotten things wrong. And, um, you know, you have to give things time. Uh, my understanding of some candidates and players in the Patriot movement has, it changes, you know, cause you get more information and, um, even, you know, some of the things that are being said now, you know, it, back in November of last year, I thought, well, all you really needed was six major states and six counties, and you could flip a national election. And um, and I think that made sense because how could it be worse? How could it be worse than that? And then you find out that, nope, there's machine-driven fraud in every single county and every single state in the country. And that's that's a fact. Um, I didn't know that in November of last year, December, um, you know, like many, you know, you watch absolute proof. And then I got to interview Dr. Frank and then, then I would go to do events with him and I would learn stuff from him. And then, then you talk with people like Draza Smith, who uh, really drives down and shows that there's a PID control that's being used where the, the election outcomes are absolutely predetermined. And she was calling it, spot on in the in the Yunkin race you know uh, everyone wants you to think that somehow you know we were overwhelming the algorithm no there there was a preset selection that took place in Virginia with Glenn Yunkin and um, so every day I'm learning something from our experts and what we're finding out is it's so much worse than anyone could have imagined I, I am well versed with corruption and evil 
I had no clue it was this bad. And um, so there's this silver lining blessing to the depression, the depression of, of just um, knowing that there's lawlessness. But I think God's going to use this to show us just how deep the swamp is. And, um, you know, so we're finding more out about candidates. We're finding out who the real patriots are, people that, you know, we wouldn't have included as a rhino even a year ago like dan crenshaw was kind of a conservative godsend now i can't distinguish him from you know john mccain uh ben sass used to talk a really good game about being a, a constitutionalist and uh he was one of the people that was in favor of the hoax impeachment um mm. and then even now it's more recently there's more revelations that have come to light that i that you know i'm, I'm asking really tough questions and getting a lot of criticism for dividing the Patriot ranks, but, um, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll be clear. I've got some tough questions towards general Michael Flynn and, and Patrick Byrne and, and many others that I, I, I kind of gave a pass until I was confronted with more information. So, uh, all I'll say is that I think the truth is the most important thing that we should concern ourselves with. We should demand accountability from everyone, myself included. There's times where I've been wrong about things and we have to get this right. And uh, that means we got to get away from this cult of personality, patriot worship. And we really have to get back to basics, which is, um, you know, if this is a government of the people, you know, for the people, then no one should take on a celebrity status we need to have ownership that means the 157 people that are on this chat right now are just as important as lynn wood myself and and you all are the future and if we don't feel like we can um you know hold everyone accountable we're never going to get we're never going to get to the bottom of this and so we got it we got to stop with the sacred cows and the worship and we got to get to the bottom of it because Trump gave us a gift. I mean, it may not feel like it now, but um, four years, he was the ultimate hiccup and roadblock to the communist takeover. And he's giving us just enough time to wake up, get it right, clean out the swamp. And I think we're going to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced we're going to win. Amen. And I agree to that. And uh, before we go to q and I'll just say I wish you were on the prosecution team against uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, there's there's times where I dream about cross-examining all kinds of people. <laughs> it's, it's funny that you bring that up. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. <laughs> and uh, like I said, I really appreciate you coming on, Professor, and uh, hopefully we can get you to come on again. Um, it's definitely an honor and a blessing. Well, go for it. Uh, shoot, ask questions. Uh, I'm tough questions. Don't scare me. So I'll, I'll chew, do my best to tell you what I think. All right. Jen H and Tina is going to be doing the questions. All right. For the first question is Audrey Detmers and then GAM 101 in Terracita. You're up next. And if Audrey could raise her hand again, I can't find her to unmute her. And Gam, same thing.
All right, looks like I've got Audrey unmuted. Go ahead, Audrey. Hello, thank you. Um, it's a it's really an honor to get to speak. Um, so I'm sorry to start this off kind of uh, deep, but I feel like there's a lot of people that are discouraged and they just don't have the fight. And, you know, um, I just feel like we they're still continuing to like look at mainstream media and i and i i i the only thing i look at is linwood jaron jackson uh you know uh professor and and just i've really focused probably like a lot of people on here um just the christian patriots that are really like putting it out there and i just I just think that with so much compromise, like I, I, I don't even know, I could maybe name like Rand Paul that I think possibly, I, I you know, might be a, a good person. But I, and besides that, I just, I can't even think of anybody. And it's just like, how, how we can't even vote enough people in. How are we gonna, you know, with, 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 with there's no change, like they're all compromised. So I just, you know, I don't know what to, like locally, like you can't get people to really care anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let me see if I can speak into that because I think everyone feels that. And, and so I have had to dig deep into my faith um, like I've never dug before. Um, a lot of people see me as this really, really vocal Christian. That wasn't always the case. Um, I, I would be, I would tell you, I've been a professing Christian since 2003. And, um, like many people, I used to worry about what people think. And I would read books and I would try to have rational discussions and, you know, think about apologetics. And sometimes I want to be, uh, you know, Mr. Debater and uh, be clever. And, um, and I was good at it, but that was, that was my effort. That was my, that was, that was Professor Clements trying to be the smart guy. And what I realized a year ago was that when this crime took place the evil was so great it was so oppressive it laid waste to all of the the paradigms that i thought were true and that when i say that the the, the legal system is broken i mean it's been destroyed there's nothing left when i look at uh, the political apparatus it's absolutely corrupt so when you're there you're like oh my gosh if this is all on me or it's all on you, what hope do we have? And, and so, yeah, it's, it's easy to fall into depression. So what are you left with? If you can't go to government, you can't go to a judge, you got to go to God. You got You have to. And so I, I went, you know, I, I turned to God and it was January 6th was the moment where I think throughout my life, I've been tapped on the shoulder by God and he's, he's opened my eyes in really profound ways. But on the sixth, I, um, I had a spiritual experience that I've never had before. You know, I've always been a kind of a rational Christian. I use my brain, my mind, 
I don't, you know, get uncomfortable talking about um, prophetic words and, you know, how the spirit talks to people. And I used to get uncomfortable in, in certain types of church congregations. Right now, I'm, I'm as sold out for the Lord as anyone you'll ever meet. And I, and I, I guess what I'm saying is once you have kids and once you see the gravity of, of evil out there, you stop caring what people think. And so I think what I would say to encourage you all is that fear is the fear ignites tyranny. Tyranny thrives. It thrives in, in environments of fear. And faith, oddly enough, is like the converse to fear. Faith ignites the environment or the platform for freedom. You have to believe. You just have to believe. And people can chalk it up to hopium. Go ahead. But I know that when the church is loud, when you've got pastors that are talking from the pulpit about the beauty of this country and the beauty of freedom, something happens inside of your heart, your chest. It starts to stir. And you start seizing to these these, these self-evident truths, as the founders revealed them, that we are free. And we, we do have dignity because we're created in God's image. And then you start shaking off that spell, that Marxist spell, that godless communist spell. Where we're told every day about what we can and cannot do. And, and we become a people that ask permission for everything. And God's saying, no, no, no. You look to me. You follow my ways. And my rules are pretty simple. Don't murder. Don't sleep around. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't have any other gods before me. And then all of a sudden, life is clear and there's power there. And so what you're finding are all these Christians that you've just mentioned, whether it's Jaron Jackson or Lynn Wood. They're finding that having faith, being a man of faith or a woman of faith, is incompatible with the spirit of fear. It's incompatible. There's no room in my life for fear. And, uh, and then it's, it's intoxicating. You start living. You start breathing. You start thinking differently. And you stop worrying about what the world will say about you. And then you find out that when you are being lied about, destroyed, you know, uh, Lynn has been hit on every single side. They tried to they tried to kill the man. They tried to kill the man. And then they missed. And what have they done since then? They tried to destroy his reputation, his finances, his ability to practice law. And then you've got someone like myself where they're trying to destroy me. I mean, I, I had complaints filed against my license. I got fired. I, I can't I can't work right now. Um a lot of people saying I'd hire you. And I have to tell them you can't hire me because if I file a case in front of this judge. They're going to hold it against you because I'm representing you. Um, but through it all, God has provided. He's provided me with you all. He's provided me with prayers. He's provided me with this platform. He's provided me with friends I would have never thought I would have met. And, and if you feel discouraged, what I'll tell you is think about what you know now. It is December 2021. Compare what you know now compared to December of 2020. We were, we were nothing but little babies. 
we didn't understand anything about the vaccines. We didn't understand anything about uh, our elections. We really didn't understand critical race theory. And now look at us. We're teaching doctors about vaccines. We're instructing clerks and correcting them about their lack of knowledge on our elections. Most of our politicians now are, are viewed with absolute derision, rightly so. So I think there's been an awakening. I think there's been a revival, a restoration. I think people are, are tapping into what's already there in, in the American spirit, which is it's in our DNA. We will not be oppressed. We will not, we're not gonna be slaves. And um, I have no doubts. I mean, this might sound crazy. I have zero doubts that we're going to win. I know we're going to win. And I told that to my wife back in January of last year. I sat her down because she was really depressed. And I said, it's not about whether we're going to win. I said, it's about, are you ready to spend the rest of your life praising God and, re and reminding everyone about how God saved his people? Uh, and and I, that's what that's what I see for my life. I know we're going to win now. I don't know when in God's timing, but I, I plan on spending the rest of my time after we win saying, don't you ever forget what God did. I'll, I'll teach that to my kids and I'll teach that to anyone that wants to hear me. And if if Lord willing, I get to spend the rest of my days as an old man, I'm going to do that to make sure that our generations never have to experience what we've gone through these past few years. And it's not just the past few years. It's really been 30 years in the making. But um, hopefully that's some encouragement for you. But it all starts with the gospel. It all starts with the gospel. Once you understand that, that Christ died on the cross for your sin and my sin, and you understand that God is real and that the devil is real, then you've got the architecture to understand everything that's going on, good versus evil. And uh, the biggest problem that we're facing is that we just cannot believe that people, judges, politicians can be as evil as they are. And once you see them as they are, you can do battle with them. So hopefully that'll encourage you just a bit. Thank you. Gam Winna, when you're next, Teresita, you'll be up after that. Nice meeting you, Professor. Um, gosh, following this up, I'm going to ask a question. Let's see. Do you know what a surety bond is? I do. <laughs> do you have a follow-up? Um, do we go ahead and try to pull those bonds or we just let this ride out? Well, it depends on what context you're talking about surety bonds. Now, I, I've heard a very novel way, and I like this because of people that have talked about creating or filing or drafting notice notices and affidavits. And you've got insurance companies that have to write policies for our election machines. And if you start filing creating affidavits where you're complaining about discrepancies at some point the insurance companies are going to get very very nervous and they're not want they're not going to want to cover um, election processes or machines that are faulty 
Um, so in that context, I, 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 if, if I'm getting close to the mark of what you're talking about, I'm, I'm all for it. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Teresita, you're next. JW after that. Teresita. I just unmuted her again. Teresita, you're good to go. Okay, great. Thank you. Can you hear me? Hello? Yes, can hear you. Okay. Hi, Teresita. Wonderful. Um, I just want to say I am just so grateful to have um, these chats, and um, I pray for you, Professor. Um, every day, I, I ask God to put a hedge, hedge of protection around your family and around you, and and um, just to um, continue to give you wisdom and um, just just I just you're constantly on my um, prayer. So, but um, this past, I would say since the election, um, it has been, as everyone else uh, continues to say, it has been a huge eye-opener. I literally am a changed person. I literally feel I have been transformed, and not transformed because of the, the election, but because, as you said, it, it brought me so much closer to what is really important in this world and we are in this world but we're not of this world and and like you said god um you know i'm just gonna say we live in a world today of it's just so sinful and so dark and so what is truth is is set is made up to be a lie and what a lie is made to be truthful and um and it just seems like everyone is so fearful of everything. And I just feel so bold by listening to um, yourself and, and Lynn and Jared and, and um, a few of the other ones um, that are true, just following in their heart and, and letting God lead them and, and trusting in the Lord that, you know, it really just put so much more clarity, at least for myself, and I'm hoping for everyone as well, in the sense of like, fear not, because, you know, God gave us the ultimate book, and he gave us the beginning and the end to know what's happening, and not to fear, and um, just to know, especially with the holidays rolling around, and Christmas here, it just, you know, I, I one verse sticks with me, it's look, Luke 2, 9, um, and it just says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news, you know, and that great news um, and the joy to the people is the Lord, you know, Jesus Amen. Christ. So, you know, even though we're here and we're hearing all this fearful things, like for me, I feel like I'm just so grateful, first of all, that I have, you know, your your profession as well as you, you're following the Lord and you're able to to reveal some truths as well as Lynn and, and give us some sort of, um, our hope is in the Lord. Thank you, Teresina. JW up next. 
Hi, Professor. Thank you so much for being here tonight and everything you've been doing. Um, I do have a couple questions. I'll try to make them quick. Okay. I was wondering, um, you mentioned like, um, you know, your experience with um, the trafficking cases. And it seems like I've done a lot of, you know, you know, researching. It seems like courts, CPS, a lot of corruption and involvement in that. Do you see that like getting better at all or like for where there, maybe there'll be some justice for some of these folks that are being trafficked? I do. Um, when I say I, we're going to win, I don't, I don't think it's just the elections. The elections is the mechanism for control, right? And if you can have, if you can rig your elections, and I think in some ways our elections have been rigged since 1996, not on the scale that they are now, but um, I've interviewed folks that um, are nation's state level experts that the reason why I don't talk about them out, out loud is because uh, bad people want to kill them. Uh, and I mean, so when, this is dangerous. When, when we talk about, you know, planes being tampered with to fall out of the sky or uh, getting death threats, stuff's real because the, the status quo power elite wants to retain their power. And so the, the elections are the mechanism. So when we went back into the Bush versus Gore uh, hanging Chad controversy back in 2000, I, I think that was um, an operation to, to provide the basis to go to electronic voting. And since then, we've seen a, an expansion of election electronic voting, which is what the communists do in third world countries and banana republics. And uh, the propaganda machine has been so well oiled that none of us would ever conceive of or believe that that could happen in our country until it has. And so whether you believe that our elections were tampered with going back all the way to 1996, I think that's the genesis of it. Um, There's no doubt that 2020 was rigged. There's no doubt that um, the Georgia runoff was rigged. There's no doubt that the recall election in California was rigged. There's no doubt that the Yunkin um, election was rigged. And uh, if you go back to 2018, Matt Bevin in Kentucky, his race was rigged. And even in 2016, the reason we knew that that was rigged. And the only reason why Hillary didn't demand an audit was because it would have shown her criminal uh, behavior in trying to secure a rigged election back then. Um, so that that's the that's the control mechanism. And under that, you have these dirty, filthy politicians um, that are profiting in trafficking. Um, and, and it's the, it's so ugly. It's so evil. It's hard to talk about it. Now I got to see that up close, um, not as close as some of your U S attorney, um, prosecutors, because it's, it's federal. When you start looking at crimes that, that cross state lines, usually the feds will have jurisdiction, but I got to see, um, the culture of, of trafficking as a state prosecutor. And um, it's very real. So I think if you solve one problem, you shine a light. And what we're looking for is cultural revival, where we start speaking truth against evil wherever it is. And that means that we start asking those tough questions to politicians, to people that are so-called patriots. And, um, 
and we get to the bottom. And if this is good versus evil, we have to be more precise in identifying what is good and what is evil. When you have entire fraternities and secret societies, Freemasons, and you go high enough up the food chain, these people worship the devil. I mean, it's that's you, you can do any basic web search now and find out about the oaths that Freemasons take and the things that they do. And when you ask yourself, well, who is the devil? Well, the devil will delight in everything that is adverse to God's will. God delights in life. Therefore, the devil delights in death. God loves children. The devil despises children. God is the author of a sane mind. The devil wants a confused, irrational mind. And, and so if you can think of what is the nastiest, most perverted thing that you can, you can imagine, you need to know that that exists in this world because the devil is real. And so when I would show up to crime scenes and I'd find, um, you know, a four person with their head chopped off, that happened. And the person that did it was walking down a highway on those yellow painted stripes covered in blood. And someone picked up that person. He was in a meth-induced psychosis and dropped him off to the sheriff's office. The sheriff didn't know that he had murdered someone. Took him to the hospital. And in that psychosis, that person grabbed the sheriff's gun and shot one of the deputies and tried to kill five people. That was a case that, that I investigated. So when you see that, it's like, that's demonic. It's, but it, and it happened. There was some, there was a demonic spirit that, that pervaded through the actions of this man. And, and we, 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 when you, when we create a culture that is completely fine with being blind to the evil of the devil, um, and where we remain, um, effectively neutered for the past 30, 40 years where we don't want God in government. We don't want God in the classroom. We don't want God um, anywhere. We don't we even want God in the church with these 501c3 statuses. Uh, the devil has been so busy, but everyone's waiting to see like as if the devil's going to come out and say, look, it's me. I've got a pitchfork. I've got horns. I've got a tail. That's not the way that the father of lies works. He takes on the best disguises. And it's going to be the politician with that, that shiny smile and that three-piece suit. It's going to be the preacher. These are the people that you have to watch watch out for. So um, I've seen it up close and personal. And I think right now we're being confronted with great revelations on how deep these Masonic ties permeate throughout government, all the way up, all the way down. And, and that's why we, the people, through the church, through the church have to do battle. We have to reclaim the church. And until, and because the church is... It's everything. I mean, the entire country was founded on the freedom to worship Christ. And so I think this revival, once we get to get get down back back to basics and we return to our faith, our faith heritage, then we're we're wielding the right weapons and, and we can fight trafficking. We can fight corrupt elections. We can we can fight the lies that are being taught in our school systems. But it all starts with getting back to um to knowing the truth and the truth actually walked amongst us. His name was Jesus Christ.
Truth, you're up next, then Chris. Truth, go ahead. Good evening. Can you hear me? I can. Hi, Truth. Hi. Thank you, Professor. Um, I'm really enjoying you. I did watch the, um, the symposium with Mike Lindell and yourself, and um, was pretty impressed. Um, but I want you to know that I am also sold out as well, the song by Hezekiah Walker. Um, and um, I am awaiting um, the victory in the Lord and know that um, I do have a question, um, but I, I want to just preface it by just kind of touching on some of the things that you said that, um, you know, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And um, he tells us to not be conformed to this world in Romans 12 and 2. Um, so when we don't conform and we are obedient to God and we stand on his word and we stand on his promises and um, and um, he says, um, we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. So I believe that, you know, like many that have commented here, um, this has been a huge awakening for me. It's not a hill that's been that we've had to climb or I've had to climb for this last year, but a mountain. And I know that if we have faith of a mustard seed, we can move these mountains, but we have to do it together to tear down these barriers. That being said, my question for you is, um, California, I'm curious as to whether or not you all took um, a look at California and the election results, because I, for whatever reason, in my spirit, in my heart, believe that California went red um, last November. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just kind of curious if um, you are aware of anything where an audit was done secretly or where all 50 states um, haven't been looked at and where California stood. And if anything will continue to happen with um, the audits throughout the country, all 50 states. And lastly, um, have you heard of a possible quantum voting system in the future to negate all of this fraud in elections? Um, because that's one of the reasons why people don't like to vote because they believe that the elections have been fixed and people are chosen and not elected um, by the establishment cabal or whatever you want to call them. Thank you for your time and thank you for your answer. Oh, you're, you're most welcome. Good questions. Um, I think the, the biggest lie that's been achieved by the enemy is that we have been led to believe that we are really a 50-50 nation. And so our elections, you know, it's, you know, Barack Obama barely wins. Bush barely wins. I think that has been a been manufactured by way of these machine-driven Dominion systems with Smartmatic, whether it's Diebold, whether it's Smartmatic, whether it's um, ESNS, Heart. They can all be used and manipulated uh, to create a perception that these elections are closer. And what we're finding across the country in every county that we've evaluated is that we are actually far more conservative. We're far more conservative. So it's weird because we've been prepared for the blue wave in Texas. We've been told that, that California is super liberal. I don't believe that's the case at all. In fact, um, there's a pastor that I talked to that uh, gave 
gave me a, a, a startling revelation that there's more Christians in California than any state except for Texas. And, and you wouldn't think that by virtue of just the way that we talk about California. But having gone to the, to the West Coast and, and traveled and talked with audit groups, I'm finding that these places that are, have been left for dead, that's the work of propaganda. You've got, you've got people that care about their businesses. They care about their property. They care about their children. They want what everyone wants. They want to be left alone. So um, I would tell you that uniformly, every county in the country is far more red than we've been led to believe. Now, in, in a lot of urban areas, uh, I, you know, I think it's a toss-up. Um, hearing Mike Lindell talk about California, he has he has access to the packet capture recordings. At least that's and and, I, and I'm not a tech expert, but um, he was of the mind, and I know that Dr. Douglas Frank has also looked at California's data that um, that California was certainly up for grabs for Trump, which would be unheard of the way that that it was reported in the media. I think if you add not just the machine-driven fraud, but uh, the other types of voter fraud that we saw, whether it's through ballot stuffing, um, it's quite conceivable that Trump won California. Um, I think that's the same The same thing could be said about, said about New Mexico. New Mexico is a lot like California. Um, there are people that, you know, four years ago didn't vote for Trump that came out in droves for him after the four years. I was a never-Trumper in 2016. I voted for him. Many Catholic Hispanic families uh, that um, were scared off of, of by Trump had their best their best lives over the past twenty years under the Trump administration and were happy to vote for him. Um, so I can tell you that the recall, when you have to get millions of signatures, that's usually indicative of probably the most accurate poll that you can imagine because. Um, to get that many signatures means that you had to get at least 30 to 35% of Democrats to sign off, and they did. And when you're that unpopular, that should that should manifest itself at the ballot box. But the problem is, is that you actually conducted the recall election through Dominion. And so they just rigged it. So I, I am of the mind that California did uh, fall to Trump. I think it was close. And by all the different metrics that I've seen, um, again, as someone who who doesn't understand the packet captures from a technical standpoint, but but um, Mike Lindell and Dr. Frank both seem to be confident that um, it was it was close enough to go to Trump. Uh, so I think that was question number one. And then you have to remind me on your second question. She's muted. OK, I, I, I'm sorry. I think I lost the thought on the second one because I was really listening to your your answer. Um, oh, <laughs> it was about the quantum financial. Oh, quantum okay. Financial okay, great, great. Okay, so yo, know, I I am when you start talking about elections and voting with whether it's quantum computing or blockchain, I'm not for that. I know some people are. They like a combination of blockchain technology with uh, you know paper ballots. Um, anything like cryptocurrencies to me. Like I know some people understand it. I'm not into it. Anything that's secretive, anything that has the word cryptic in it, I'm not going to be for. I want 
something that's so simple that anyone can understand it. And I, I guess my my pushback with the quantum stuff, with the crypto stuff, the blockchain technology is I can't explain it. I, I just can't. I know some people can, but that's where things start falling apart. And so I want paper I can touch. I want a person I can observe count it. I want um, I, I want everything to be done in a way that a janitor, a mechanic, a nurse, an engineer, an attorney can all come away going, I understand the process and how we vote. And if that means we print more paper and we have to have more people, if it means that it's less convenient for a county clerk, I don't care. This is the most important thing. If we've learned anything, I would rather have the manpower. And it's not like in some ways we've we've created this monster like convenience is just so important. You know, we had paper voting in the 90s. I mean, maybe some of you are young, but that wasn't that long ago. And we really got through our elections just fine. And in the areas, this is the funny thing with Dr. Frank, back to him. There's been a few counties where he has been able to find out that there wasn't any uh, algorithms being used. And those were all places that didn't have the technology for the machines. They ran honest elections that were on paper ballots and there was no cheating there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know if that really addresses your question, but I am not on the blockchain side of things. I want paper. I want Amish all the way. Thank you. You're welcome. Chris. Chris, you're next, and Don Zago is up after that. Hey, Professor. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's such um, a thrill um, to be able to talk to you, and thank you for what you're doing. I know that you want to stay humble, and you give all glory to God, and I'm with you on that, but I just... Um, I just want to say how much we appreciate what you've done. You've, you've, you, you, you're walking through the fire and, you know, with the whole job loss and now, you know, you're trying to, I don't know. I don't know where your head's at with everything. I was going to ask you about that, but there's just so much stuff. I could talk to you for hours. Um, <laughs> well, give me, give me the one question that you want to ask more than anything and, and I'll, I'll do my best. Well, let me let me just give put a couple things out there and you can um, share what you feel here. I guess the things on my heart is um, the, you know, as you've been talking and slash preaching, I've been sitting here. Amen. 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 And so it's so encouraging to I follow you on Telegram and following you since the Regent University telecast. And um, it's just so encouraging to to see God working in you with your, you know, lack of fear and you have a purpose. And I mean, I feel that same way in my life, too. I was talking to the host before you came on and I told them it's like my motto is give me liberty or give me death. I will do whatever God puts in front of me to do to speak truth and to act, um, to do my little part to save the Republic. So um, I just feel like, you know, I, I want to have a lot of hope too, like what you're saying about, you know, God's going to turn things around. You don't know when it is, but, he, but he's going to do it. And that's kind of what I was saying in the beginning, like it's going to be a Red Sea moment and it's going to come out of left field and it's going to be so obvious that everybody knows that it's God that's doing it. But then, I, you know, I think about, you know, really, 
we this nation is under judgment right now and for good cause but we're we're shedding innocent blood and so i'm watching these this case that went before the supreme court on december 1st and they've got i think until june to decide you know if if we don't turn that around you know why why should god save us you know so i'm really praying over these supreme court justices to stand firm and come back with a 9-0 ruling mm. and just for God to really touch their hearts so that so that we you know we can choose life and not death um because you know I, I just I waver I waver is, is God gonna save it and, and when I talk to people I try to encourage them yes you know God is gonna save this country and um so I try to stay positive but I guess so my my question is um number one the 22 2022 elections what hope do we even have since the machines are rigged you know i'm gonna vote i'm gonna get out there and vote and i'm gonna tell everybody else to vote but really what hope do we have unless we do go to paper ballots and i don't really see that happening and secondly these j6 prisoners thank you for the the spotlight that you've been doing on them and um i don't understand the technicalities and the legalities of what is holding everything up in mm. i mean getting these people out of there they've been charged with like misdemeanors as far as i know so um yeah. well no good 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 observations and and good questions um it's weird because i my discernment is I draw from my faith. It's not from legal prowess. I mean, I can, I can talk about the cases. I can talk about, you know, different types of legal theories. Um, and I can't, and that's the difficulty is like, if you're not a person that sees things the same way, um, it, it's hard to encourage people. And, and is because it's you know in some ways it's it's subjective right well well great the professor feels that way i wish i did and, and what i could tell you is it's kind of like when paul in the bible is preaching the gospel and he's telling people man if i'm wrong about christ there's no greater fool than me there's no one you should pity more than me i mean that's what that is his message but he believed it and he was right he met christ and in some ways, like on a much smaller scale, I feel like Paul, man, if I'm wrong about what I've been saying, there is no greater fool than me because I, I don't have anything left. I don't have, if we don't win, I'm done. I mean, I mean, you guys realize that I'm, there's no one that'll hire me. And now if I'm vindicated, well, great, you know, sunshine, music, but we're not there yet. And so I don't, I, I, I say that because I don't want you to feel like, man uh, i'm just i haven't considered the cost i just i i just know the truth when i see it and i know what happened and i know that the only way that that we're going to win is through god's provision and you've got mm -hmm. historical examples of him saving his people if you believe in the word of god and you believe it to be true which i do you know, he saved his people and he always does it in ways where he it he can't have a brilliant man getting all the glory. You you right. read the old testament and the new testament, we the people will not get the glory. 
I will not get the glory. Linwood will not get the glory. Mike Lindell will not get the glory. Mm-hmm. God will get the glory. And, and so when you look at like the walls of Jericho and you look at 300 people <laughs> here, or it's always the same thing. It's just enough champions, if you will. But there's something unique about the champions that he raises. They all proclaim that God did it. Right. And I think we've identified the champions, if you will, that are saying, I don't care. Kill me. And there's times right, you know, I'm, I, I get up in a plane and we've got turbulence and I'm so tired. I mean, I'm just so tired. And, and there's a there's a moment where I'm going, if this plane goes down, it'd be the best thing that ever happened because I can <laughs> finally rest. I mean, there's days that mm-hmm. I feel that way. So I, I feel it down to my core. Um, so it, it is a matter of faith. But then there's this question of when. So you have to discern all of the victories. And this is the thing. It's like we need constant reminders of victories to keep that hope. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is. We're still on this chat together. We're still talking. Most people can still pack a gun. Most people can still get on a plane. Most people can still drive a car. Most of you can still go to a school board meeting and, and raise hell. Uh, most of us um, still are seeing the momentum and a change in the culture. And so there is, you know, when you see CEO, CEOs being taken down and, and you see all these things, it's a battle. It's not static. Everyone wants that one victory that one kill shot and then we go it's over i don't think it'll ever quite be like that you know when jefferson said that the cost of liberty was eternal vigilance i think what he's telling us is that we're, we're sojourners we this is not our final resting place this is not home and we will have to fight like this i think what we what we've in some ways we've been cursed by our prosperity and especially right. our generation, because we didn't mm-hmm. we didn't purchase what we're experiencing. We you know we didn't live through the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. We didn't we didn't stumble across those mass graves in World War II. So we're coming into a point in history that will be just as monumental and historic as World War II, as the Revolution, as the Civil War, and it's happening right before our eyes. And we're yep. going to be confronted once again with just how evil things are. Um, do we deserve judgment? Yes. But I think the way that God works is that he can dispense perfect justice and judgment for those that are deserving of wrath, whether that's Dr. Fauci, whether that's Joe Biden, whether it's Kamala Harris, whether it's some false patriots out there. And he also loves saving and delivering his children um, so we can proclaim his goodness. And so it'll be both. And um I feel like this is unsustainable. Um, if you would have asked me, you know, my preference for a victory would have been before January 20th. And the way that I've described that January 20th of mm-hmm. last year mm-hmm. is that if you read a book and you noticed how bad everything was, and then all of a sudden you get resolution, you'd be like, I don't think that that book reads right. There's something about a historical narrative where for the ending to truly, truly pay off, you really have to be, drag through the mud it's kind of like lord of the rings it's like three really long books before you get to the ending the ending is like super long but it's so worth it because you you got to go on the journey with frodo and samwise and all those folks and got to see what they went through if they just went through a bunch of crap and it was the end it you would it wouldn't feel right and so i think right now what you're seeing is a a sharpening of 
all of God's children. I'm talking more about God every day because I'm desperate. <laughs> I got nothing left. Right. So I don't talk about the law as much. I'm like a preacher now. And that's, and if I'm a preacher, when I didn't talk like this a year ago, I know everyone on this channel, maybe they're not where I'm at, has grown leaps and bounds in their faith. And I think mm -hmm. that's the growing, that's the growing pains of we, the people. And I think when we're all there, then God's going to say, all right, you've learned your lesson. Now watch me work. And I think we're close. Um, and then the other thing I would tell you is that the, the one piece of the puzzle that's the biggest piece of the puzzle is what Trump's doing. You know, we, we keep thinking, well, man, do we have enough in California? Do, 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 are those packet captures real? Is Mike Lindell going to do this? Or are we going to rely on a court? I'm telling you right now that the most powerful man in the world is brilliant. And that most powerful man is Trump, commander in chief, created Space Force. If Mike Lindell's got mm -hmm. something, Trump's got it. He's got everything. Um, I got to I got to basically spend three and a half hours with the man and mm, he is wow. cool as a cucumber. I think he's just waiting for the right time. He's moving all kinds of pieces behind the scenes. Um, that's also an article of faith, but I believe that I think he's I think he's a Churchill like president. He's a wartime president. And my hope for our prisoners is that. One of the reasons why nothing makes sense is because they are, in fact, prisoners of war. Yeah. And if that's true, legally, what if Trump signed the Insurrection Act on November 3rd? What if? Well, historically, when Lincoln suspended the writ of habeas corpus, he suspended the, the Constitution, which we always thought was a really bad thing. Well, during wartime, who knows? Um it certainly makes sense for the reason why we haven't had a trial, why these charges are just ridiculous, why we're not they're not getting exculpatory evidence. I'm hoping and praying that he is just buying time uh, for the big reveal and our prisoners won't rely on pardons because they're not guilty of anything. They'll be honored as war heroes. Um, mm. I don't know if that'll mm. happen, but I pray that that's the case. And um, mm -hmm. we monitor their needs. We've raised over a million dollars for the families. It goes wow. right to them. And every That's night, awesome. at least two hours, two night, every, every night we pray with them. We've got people that pray with those families. We write letters. We take care of commissary needs. And we're going to awesome. continue to do that until, um, until victory. There's a group of us on a, a Twitter space um, that has committed to praying for them at two o'clock central standard time every day. So if anybody wants to get on board with that, it's two o'clock central standard time every day and just praying for their spiritual strength and that God would just, you know, m make his presence known to them and strengthen them and their families and, and however led you're led to pray. I think that's awesome that you're doing that with them every night. That's so awesome. Well, it puts things in perspective. As as tough as people think I've got it, I I, I don't get to do it every night, but um, our admins do. My my main admin is there every night. Um, wonderful human being. Uh, I try to get on um, every every week at best, maybe once every two weeks because I travel so much, but. Um, we listen to them sing the national anthem. Um, we can get the prisoners on the line. We can hear them. We hear 
um, spouses that are separated even now that are crying. Uh, we, we cry together. We pray together. We read scripture together. We sing uh, songs together. And um, it's a ministry. So I just, um, I'm thankful for the people that have, that have got the hearts for it. Um, kind of interesting story behind that. Someone told me that I wasn't doing enough. And I was talking about it and I was trying my best to, to figure out what was going on. And, and the prisoner's record was born out of someone that trolled me. It was just saying, hey, professor, you're not doing enough. And I was really, I was really kind of upset because I'm like, I'm talking about it all the time. And uh, I ended up like removing that troll from my channel. And then he emailed me later and he said, I'm a veteran. A lot of these people are veterans. I've got PTSD. I love your channel. I love what you stand for, but we're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. And he was right. <laughs> and so instead of being proud, I restored him to the channel and I couldn't sleep that night. And that was the genesis of the, of the prisoner's record. And um, we've got a good community. It's not enough, but it's, it's the best that we can muster. Um, and so it, it's probably the, the thing that I'm most proud of, more so than the audit stuff, is just knowing that these families have a lifeline. Don, you're next, then for the win. Professor, thanks Professor, for your thank time you. tonight. I'm sorry. Professor, thank you so much for uh, sharing some what some people would consider intimate details about your past. And it certainly gives us all hope that uh, we're all fall short of the glory of God. But uh, my question is specifically about uh, the Constitution and how uh, maybe you could maybe straighten out a disillusioned man like me that thought I was created in the image and likeness of my creator and that he gave me these unalienable rights that promised me the right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness and that no government and no other man could violate any of those God-given rights and that I could not do that to another man. But somehow our government seems like they have passed all kinds of laws, certainly statutes and codes, if you ever go into one of their bar courts, and they've taken away these uh, promised guaranteed rights and so how would you address those people that feel like when they go into one of these bar courts that they should be able to step on the other side of that bar and say, I'm a live living soul and I don't have to follow any of your codes or statutes, but I want justice according to the Bible. And I want you to judge me based on those God-given unalienable rights. And uh, I'm hoping that you might address how we as a people are going to reform these courts, because to me, I've been in them enough time to know that they're fully corrupt and make people subject to their codes and their statutes, which are in total violation of the Constitution. Yeah, I, I hear the passion, man. And, I, you know, I, I'm not a big defender of the bar um, my professions, like many, um, we're all somewhat tainted. The healthcare professions tainted. The legal professions tainted. Um, and it's because we don't have an indwelling spirit of righteousness as a people. And, and we share the blame. It's easy to blame the judiciary. It's easy to blame, but we elect these people. Or we've at least created the, the mechanisms for the, the voting machines to now select these people. This didn't happen overnight. And so we have become lukewarm Christians that haven't been concerned with God's ways. 
And so we've let people run our affairs that do not love God. They do not love God's ways. They don't, they don't love natural law. Um, we are a constitutional republic by virtue of separation of powers. By and large, Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution establishes what the federal powers are. And, and it's pretty simple. There's 18 enumerated powers, and they're confined to free trade and national defense. They should be, you know, we've got a federal government that's worried about making sure that our borders are secure, that when a foreign threat's there, that we can we can exist, we can survive. And then they want to make sure that we can trade amongst the states. That was the original intention. So you had the post office and you got the raising of, of revenue for the Navy. Everything else was left via the 10th Amendment. And so I don't have a problem with statutes because statutes are laws written by the legislature and there's a, a legal um, place for that. Um, but it should be domestic, it should be local, it should, most of our, our laws should be governed at the state level. But those statutes cannot, and this is to your point, contravene or negate what is established in the Constitution which limits their powers. And so I think what, what's really happened is the bastardization of, of the law through administrative agencies. And administrative agencies are so corrupt and so unaccountable because they combine what would normally be separated through checks and balances, a judiciary, a legislature, an executive branch, and it combines them all into one kind of fiefdom where they're not looking out for we the people and that administrative apparatus has basically grown since the late 1800s it found um, greater foothold under Woodrow Wilson and again under Lyndon B Johnson and it now accounts for more law than anything else and all of it's unconstitutional if you just have a fair reading so I think this starts with revival I don't think we have to rewrite laws I don't think we have to have um, a constitution, uh, constitutional convention. I think we just need to read the plain language that already exists on the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and understand that the Constitution says exactly what it says. It's not a Chinese buffet. You don't pick and choose what you want. 18 enumerated powers are very few. That's it. Everything else is left to the states. And um, most things need to be handled privately through private affairs. So I think you'll have the restoration or confidence in the courts when you've got Christ-centered people that inhabit those positions uh, in politics, in the church, in schools. And so I think we're, we're, we're going to be entering, a, hopefully, Lord willing, a kingdom age where you're going to see reformation because of hearts that have been changed. And if you've got changed hearts and you've got people that are committed to justice and you've got a judge that's a Christ-loving person that puts on the black robe, you're going to get Christ-like justice. And until we change the culture, that's not going to happen. Um, I've got time for maybe two more questions. My kids are going to be coming back and then I, I'm going to have to open up the hotel room to them. Okay. Don Zago, you're next. And then for the win, we'll be the last. Sorry about that, everyone else. Professor, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Question, first one is, it's a couple questions, hopefully both of them will be quick. Best day, worst day of your legislative, not legislative, your um, 
legal aspects. And um, the other question is, if you were to, um, the judicial system is based upon the maritime law. How do you uh, defend that against what's happening today? Okay, first question, best, worst. Um, highest compliment I ever received. I, I, I tried a murder case, um, State versus Tarek Tompkins. And there's a defense attorney that, by the name of Gary Mitchell, who might be one of the greatest trial attorneys in the country. Um, been practicing a really long time. Think of like Lynn Wood, but uh, one of the bad guys. Like Lynn Wood's a good guy. This guy is like as talented, but he works and represents the worst of the worst. And we secured a victory in that case. And he came up to me and I, I did the rebuttal closing. And he told me in his entire career, um, that was the best rebuttal closing that he'd ever seen. And for someone like me, um, who's I, 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 that was a compliment where uh, I was like, okay, I can retire now. And that's one of the reasons why I actually became a law professor. Is I, I was like, I'm never going to have a better compliment than who I considered the best defense attorney in my state and probably top 10 in the country telling me that I tried a case with him and, um, and he was impressed. So um, that was the highest point of my career. Lowest point um, in the law would be anytime uh, you don't get justice because you see corruption at work, um, whether it's your own officers and a victim doesn't get justice. So I've had some cases that I know the victim was victimized, but I had dirty cops and they sandbagged my case. And there's nothing worse than um, than trying to console a victim that doesn't get justice. That case that I mentioned where there was a beheading, um, I was on the phone with the district attorney when he called. His, uh, it was actually a, a female four person. And I'll never forget it. Um, letting her know, letting him know that her sister had been killed and he asked how it happened. We had to tell him how it happened and him crying out, just agony, just agony. Um, so, that, I mean, there's lots of moments like that where I go home, I'm like, how evil. I mean, you just want to cry. And, and there was times where you have to keep pretty thick skin. So there's many times where my wife was very upset with me. Um, because she would tell, she would tell me all the time, you care more about your victims than you do about me. And I couldn't share all the stuff that I was dealing with and seeing every day. Cause I would just break down and cry. So about every, you know, every three months we would get in a really nasty fight. And then I would share with her what I was doing. And I would usually just bawl and weep. And then she'd forgive me and she'd see that I did care. And there's a reason why I wasn't communicating these things because I don't want to be, um, a slobbering mess. Um, because you have to be strong for your victim. So lots of low moments like that. So high, high moment, low moment. And then uh, your other question, um, let me see if I can recall. Um, I'm sorry, I forgot. It. <laughs> uh, and I'm trying to think of what it was too. Um, oh, the, the, um, the whole aspect of the fact that it's a maritime law. Oh, okay. Maritime. Uh, okay. So that that's fairly open to interpretation. So like, I do not believe that your branches of, of federal government are co-equal. 
the, judi the judiciary really isn't co-equal with the legislature or the executive branch. The most powerful branch by far as, as, as according to the, to the founders was the legislature because it's, it's closest to we the people. Um, so the judiciary does have a smaller role. Um, and Article 3, the legislature can actually set the jurisdiction of the judiciary for whatever reason. Um, Marbury versus Madison um, took hold. That was the attempt at the judiciary to create greater powers for itself. Um, but when you're talking about matters of maritime law, you're really just talking about the U.S. Constitution and, and federal law. Um, each state has a state constitution that's set up very similar. In fact, you've got constitutions that predate the U.S. Constitution. I want to say Massachusetts is the oldest. And so you have the separation of powers there. And um, so there, there are places for legitimate laws to be created by the legislature. That's the appropriate place. Um, but I, I guess my, the only thing I would add is just that the judiciary was never meant to be co-equal. The legislature was supposed to have vast, vast power because you and I could elect people into office and vote them out if they didn't do what we said. Um, and then I think we got one more question. Yes, although the chat will remain open for discussion afterwards, for the win will be our last question. Hey, Professor. Appreciate you hanging out here a little bit later for us and everything else that you're doing for us as well, too. Um, I wanted to bring up what you were saying earlier about the January 6 prisoners being prisoners of war. Were you theorizing that they were prisoners of war? Or is that something that you know? Because I have a theory as to how they could be prisoners of war. Yeah, I, I um, it's more of an article of faith. What, what I'll tell you is that um, this is just me, and people could think I'm crazy. I think when Trump came back out on the balcony the night of the election, I think he signed the Insurrection Act. Now, have I asked Trump that? No. And even if I did, would he tell me if he did? No. Um, there's lots of people that are much closer to him than I, I don't ask them because they're just not going to tell me. So I, I'm left. I'm left with speculation. But what I will tell you, there's, there's things that have informed my decision where it's not just complete conspiracy <laughs> drivel. Um, first thing is that John Durham is real and he exists. And when you've got the Department of Justice and Merrick Garland answering to Joe Biden, there's no reason why John Durham uh, would still be a special prosecutor because they're not worried about what we think. So why is he still there? Um also, you've got executive orders that related to foreign interference that were reauthorized. Why would Joe Biden allow the reauthorization of executive orders dealing with foreign interference if that would be his undoing? That's curious to me. Three, you also had the revelation that high-ranking members of the intelligence committee, whether it's uh, Adam Schiff and um, what was his name, Swalwell, were being investigated. And Apple was turning over four years' worth of documents to a uh, that were subpoenaed uh, to a secret grand jury. Now, if you run back the clock, that would have culminated with the start of President Trump's administration, which means that investigation would have predated Mueller. 
So the, those are the little things where like, okay, there's nothing conspiracy about that. I've been, I've been paneled grand juries. I've, I've subpoenaed records. There has to be a legitimate basis under the law on how that was happening. Um, and those I can, I can defend and they don't make sense unless Trump has control of the military. Now that's just my opinion. Um, but that provides a different construct for how we view our, our prisoners. I call them prisoners of war because this isn't information war figuratively, but I, I believe that if that's the case, then um, there's a reason why they're not being um, discussed openly by the president. I think he's got to win the people. The people need to be awakened. And once we start seeing proof that is just going to scare the hell out of people, that um, that they'll be freed. So um, that, that's that's my working theory. Um, I realize that the more that I talk about it, the crazier I might seem because it's it is an article of faith. But um, well, we need we need a miracle. And I, I firmly believe that that could be one. Well, let me give you one here and let you chew on this here. I'm going to put it on the wall. What do you think our nation's oldest um, monuments would be? Ooh, on the on the spot, I, I wouldn't know. Go ahead and enlighten me. Boundary stones. Boundary stones. There's, okay. There's forty of them in total. They encompass the diamond that we would you know picture as Washington D.C. And this one in particular is SE number four. And it says on the bottom, as of mid 2020, the replica stone has been knocked over and its fence has been destroyed in another traffic incident. So when I was digging mid 2020 in traffic related records, police records, there's no such incident reported with a boundary stone. But what did happen mid 2020 was the riots in Washington, D.C. So my theory simply is this. This boundary stone, along with EO, 13933, protecting the federal monuments, allows him to be able to um, dictate where federal funds go for police and for federal funds in general. So if you want to put a fence around the Capitol up, you can do that with this one. And specifically all because I think someone just simply knocked over a boundary stone. These are our nation's oldest federal monuments. Well, The Capitol would be the next one. I like it. I like it. I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this. Then I got to hop off and let my kids in the room. Um, if, if we, if the insurrection act was signed, this is a big, if you can control the assets of any foreign entity that is basically contributed to that foreign inter- interference. And when you look at state street capital, Vanguard, and I think was it BlackRock? At least sixty percent of the of the world's corporations are are controlled through um, those three entities, and so there's a good chance that who knows who knows if the military has control of of many of these corporations, and they they might not even know it because they're they're owned privately. So I mean, there's all kinds of curious things out there that I'm looking at, but I don't know because I'm just a I'm just a law a former law professor that lives in the middle of the desert. But um, it's fun to think about. Um, I think whatever happens, the ending to this story, whether I'm right or wrong, is going to be um, an amazing ending. I can't wait to see it. But with that, I, I got to get my kiddos in here. God bless you all. Thank you, Michael, for inviting me on. And, and I'd be happy to do this again sometime in the future. You all have a, a great evening. Thank, Thank you, Professor.
Thanks, Thank Professor. Thank you so much. God bless y'all. Take care. You as well. Hey, we're going to go ahead and unmute everybody, but please be respectful when someone else is speaking. Thank you. Say again the whole boundary thing, if the last uh, question person could say that again. All right, for the win, you're going to be our speaker. All right, uh, you open up the can of worms. All right, for the win, welcome to Conservative Patriot Nation, and you're on. Okay, boundary stones. So when all this stuff went down with the election last year, all I knew was everyone says Washington, D.C. is evil. So I asked the question, what the heck makes Washington, D.C. evil? So let me grab a screenshot here. Hey, for the win, do you want me to keep the wall closed while you're doing that? Uh, yeah, that'd be great. All right. So when we think of the boundary stones, this is what they look like. There's one every one square mile. So this story actually needs a little bit more of a backdrop to it behind just these stones. So 1787, there was an eclipse. And this eclipse... Everyone predicted it in Europe, wherever, but this Benjamin Banneker guy, he was the first black American astronomer, successfully predicted this eclipse better than anyone in Europe or anyone at that time. So all of a sudden, everyone's like, okay, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. So then 1789 rolls around, Congress passes 10 square miles. So they were on a clock, a deadline. They had to have Congress ready to go by the year 1800. So the first thing they needed to do was survey 10 square miles. So that's what I wanted to know was America's origins of what happened to, you know, what made DC, DC ultimately. So Washington appointed Andrew Ellicott in charge of the surveying expedition. Ellicott had brothers who was also surveying New York at the time. There's two other ones. And because they were already doing that, they were tied up and he needed a team to be able to do his thing. So Washington suggested his neighbor, Benjamin Banneker to go along with. Now, after